This is the West Concord Sermon Podcast. Thank you for joining us, and we hope you receive a blessing from today's message. You may be seated. And we are finishing the rest of the story this morning. In 30 messages, we will have covered the book of Revelation to the best of our human ability. And for those of you who have been along with us for the ride, and those of you who may have been in and out, if you've kept reading the book of Revelation, if you've followed along in the book of Revelation, you have, you have taken advantage of the blessing that God has given us by revealing the rest of the story, by telling us what is coming and what is going to happen. Yet, as we turn on the news, as we open our tablets and our phones to look at the headlines, we are concerned. We are, yes, fearful to some extent. We see all sorts of conflict. The Middle East is in an uproar. But the reality is that God said it would be at one point. This morning, as a matter of fact, as I was planning today's message, I went back and forth whether I was going to specifically talk about the situation with Israel or not. I decided we were going to go ahead after much prayer and consideration to finish the book of Revelation, but Wednesday night we will talk about Israel and what's going on there. So if you'd like to come that Wednesday night, bring your notebooks, Bibles, questions, And as Dr. Poor used to say, we'll go down deep and hopefully not come up dry. But as we finish the book of Revelation this morning, we see the final word in what has been the rest of the story. Now, just a reminder about why God revealed this truth. The book of Revelation is the revelation of Jesus Christ. It says as much in the very first verses of this amazing book. The revelation of Jesus Christ. And in this revelation, God gives us an outline in chapter 1 and verse 19. In the final word, he says, write, he told John, write the things which you have seen. And in chapter 1, John saw the glorified Christ. He saw Jesus Christ in all of his glory. Remember the last time John saw Jesus, he was the resurrected, crucified Savior. But when God showed John Jesus in the book of Revelation, he was the glorified Christ. He said, so write the things which you have seen and the things which are. Chapters 2 and 3 of Revelation deal with the churches that existed in John's day. John at that time in the late first century was the pastor, the shepherd of the church at Ephesus. And because John was elderly and John was one of the apostles, he also had oversight among the seven different churches in what is today Turkey. And through John, God revealed the conclusion and the climax of human history. Chapters 2 and 3 are encouragements and corrections to those present churches, but also to the church of Jesus Christ today. He did that in seven letters in chapters 2 and 3. Write the things which you have seen, the things which are, and then finally, the things which shall take place after this. 
Chapters 4 through chapters 22 deal with events yet future. The catching away of the church, seven years of judgment and tribulation, where God released seven seals, seven trumpets, seven vials, wave after wave of judgment upon unbelieving Gentiles and the unbelieving remnant of Israel. Understand this about the nation of Israel. While they are God's chosen people, why, does, why, does, why did he chose them? Well, because he did. There was nothing special about them. God simply chose Abraham out of the world of men at that time, 4,000 years ago, to develop a nation through whom he would provide the written word, the Bible, written primarily by Jewish, Christian, uh, Jewish people. rather. And then he also chose from the nation of Israel to raise the living word, Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ wasn't as a Jew. The church of Jesus Christ began as a Jewish movement until God's people rejected their own Messiah and the church moved into the Gentile world where it is predominantly Gentile today. But God has not forgotten his people Israel. God told Abraham that the land that he would promise Abraham would be the possession of Abraham's descendants forever. And so God had promised many things yet future, yet God judged Israel as well as the Gentiles during that seven year of, years of tribulation. The last half Daniel called the Great Tribulation, the time of Jacob's trouble. Chapter 19 records the return of Jesus Christ, the second coming of Christ. The judgment of the Antichrist and the false prophet, the judgment of the devil himself, the raising up of his thousand-year millennial kingdom. And then finally, in the last few weeks, we've seen our eternal home with him forever. It's been an exciting time. I don't know about you, but I'm excited. Yes, I know Revelation frightens some people. Revelation confuses some people. But God didn't give us the book of Revelation to frighten us or to confuse us. He gave it to us to inform us. To give us courage, to give us strength in times like these. To remind us that He is sovereign. So again, Revelation gives us the outline in chapter 1 and 19. It says, the things which you have seen and the things which are and the things which shall take place. That's chapter and book of the book of Revelation. So we come to the end of the book of Revelation today. In a sense, we're coming to the end of the rest of the story, as we've entitled this series. Earl Palmer, scholar in Revelation expositor says this, he says, history, and that's what we're looking at basically, history that is yet to happen, but history nonetheless, history does not trail off into emptiness, nor does it endlessly repeat its themes. People say, oh, history repeats itself. Not necessarily. The reason why it seems that way is because humanity has been the same ever since creation. We respond and react the same way to outward stimuli, just like we did Yesterday, the day before, and just like we will do. History does not trail off into emptiness, nor does it endlessly repeat itself like a vast confined circle. History from the biblical perspective 
has a meaningful beginning. In the beginning, God, Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, God, Genesis 1.1. He says it has a meaningful beginning. And notice he goes on to say, it also has a meaningful end. Through the decisions of God. As we see the meaningful beginning, in the beginning, God, He started it all off. He created the heavens and the earth. He just didn't do that because He had nothing else to do. He created the world, the universe, humanity with a purpose in mind. Which means that not only does humanity have a beginning, but there is an end coming as well. Not necessarily an end of humanity, but an end of the story laid out in Scripture. So as we go to the book of Revelation this morning, we're going to pick it up in chapter 22 and look at the last several verses this morning. And in this chapter, we see a lot of finalities. As not only the book is winding up, but God is also winding up the rest of the story. And as we pick it up in verse 6, we see some final instruction to John specifically and to us secondarily. He says, then he said to me, these words are faithful and true. We see a couple of things in this passage. We see first conviction. God wants John to have that conviction, to understand that conviction and share the conviction that the words of the book of Revelation are faithful and true. These are not just the meanderings of some theologian. They're just not the imaginations of some spiritualist. These are the words of God himself from Christ's lips to John's ears. These words are faithful and true. This is the word of God. He says, And the Lord God of the holy prophets sent his angel to show his servants the things which must shortly or swiftly take place. He says in verse 7, Behold, I am coming quickly. He says this three times in this final passage. The word quickly there should better be translated swiftly or immediately. And it's when the context of all of the prophetic elements of Revelation. Because you'll read this and say, Well, it's been 2,000 years. It hasn't been that quick. And the idea is he's coming swiftly. Once the things start ticking off, once the clock starts ticking prophetically, Jesus' return would be imminent. And technically today it is. And here's the reality. Suppose Jesus does wait a hundred years before he returns. You and I will still go see him if you know Christ as Savior. Jesus says three times, I am coming quickly. Blessed is he. Notice this. This is one of the many beatitudes. This is the second last beatitudes or blessings he gives in Revelation. Blessed is he who keeps the words of the prophecy of this book. In other words, there's conviction there that the words of Revelation are true. And by believing them, holding them, living them out to the best of our ability, looking forward with longing to Christ coming back, we will indeed receive blessing. Blessing in knowing that He has control even though the world seems uncontrollable. Blessed in knowing that He is sovereign even though the world seems to be struggling. Blessed to know that 
everything through Jesus Christ, and notice that caveat, through Jesus Christ, will end well. So Revelation shouldn't frighten us. Revelation shouldn't confuse us. Revelation should bring us comfort in knowing that God will prevail. What is wrong will be made right. What is bad will be replaced with good. And through Christ, we will reign with him forever and ever. That's a blessing. That's the conviction that we should hold. These words are true. He wanted us to know these things. Shame on those who refuse to look at or bother with revelation. Yes, it's complex. I understand that. But he didn't give us this book to confuse us. It shouldn't confuse us. We should take our time and read it plainly. Read it ordinarily. Understand that there are times when there are metaphors and analogies. But when he lays it out and he makes it plain, we should receive that plain truth. And that's what we've tried to do. So some of the final instructions are we should have conviction concerning the truth and the vitality of this book. But there is some confusion. Even John himself was confused. Look at verse 8. It says, Now I, John, saw and heard these things. And when I heard and saw, and notice, understand what we've gone through the last 21 chapters, the things that John has seen. He has seen things that you and I cannot even imagine, can't even understand to a great extent. And we're sophisticated, technologically marvelous 21st century people. John lived 2,000 years ago. He would be amazed at your iPhone. And yet he saw the splendor, the magnificence, and the wrath of God all in one package. You talk about struggling. He was just so overwhelmed, he said, I fell down to worship before the feet of the angel who showed me these things. John was just blown away. And this is the second time he has done this. He was so blown away, he just felt down and worshiped at the feet of the angel who brought him this message. And notice the angel says, whoa, wait a minute, buddy. Verse 9, see that you do not do that. Again, John had done this already once before. Back in the book of Revelation earlier when God had shown him amazing things, the angel said, don't do that. Don't worship me. Don't look to me. Listen, he goes on to say this, For I am your fellow servant, and of your brethren, the prophets, and of those who keep the words of the Lord, uh, keep the words of this book, rather worship God. You know, we get titillated and excited about these types of things, and we begin to look to preachers and teachers. It's a shame in the church we have celebrate celebrities and so forth that we look to. And yes, even there are some factions today that do worship angels. Here's the thing. In Revelation, worship God. The focus should be on God. The focus should be on God the Father, Christ the Son, and the empowerment of God's Spirit. Again, the title of the book is The Revelation of Jesus Christ. That is its purpose. To reveal all about Christ. You know, we focus on his death, burial, and resurrection, and that's all good. We should do that. But in Revelation, we get the rest of the story. We see his judgment and his return and his role as King of kings and Lord of lords. And so, yes, we should fall down 
and worship him. We should give him glory. God bless John. He was confused. So don't feel bad if you get confused. You're in good company. I can't tell you that I don't sometimes get confused. But God didn't mean it to be that way. God has provided the book of Revelation to comfort us rather than confuse us. To excite us. And to get us moving. And that's what we should be doing. And so he says to John, listen, you should have conviction. These are true words. Yes, you're confused. And then he gave John a commission. And it's not just John's commission. It's our commission. He says in verse 10, he said to me, do not seal the words of this prophecy of this book. For the time is at hand. In other words, get the message out there. Get the word out there. Jesus Christ is coming back. And listen, he was telling him this 2,000 years ago. Look how close we are today. As you watch news events, you see all the things going on in the Middle East. And I'm not going to stand up here and name names and give dates. We don't do that. But I will tell you that I believe the world is staging up. I believe in my conviction, you can agree with me or disagree with me, that I believe we're getting close, closer than we were, closer than John was. If I were you, my brother and sister in Christ, I would keep my eye on Israel. Keep your eyes on the Middle East. We're going to talk about it Wednesday night in detail. I want you to come. Because I believe things are heating up. But again, I say that not to frighten or not to scare because again, we know the rest of the story. We know the outcome. And he says, don't seal these things. Let them out there. Tell the news. The time is at hand. And he basically lays down the foundation. He says in verse 11, he who is unjust, let him be unjust still. He who is filthy, let him be filthy still. He who is righteous, let him be righteous still. He who is holy, let him be holy still. In other words, let everybody make their decision. Everybody will choose God or they'll choose against God. One of the two. Your job and my job, John's job, was to get the message out there to give them that choice. Never assume that somebody's going to heaven. Never assume that somebody's going to hell. But once that message is presented, they will make their choice. They'll either still reject him, be unjust still, filthy still, or they will receive him. But the commission is that we are to take the words of the book and share with people. I hope the book of Revelation and the study of the book of Revelation has done nothing else but excite you to go out and share with somebody Jesus Christ. Oh, brother, I can't do that. Why? I may lose a friend. They may feel weird about me. It'll make our relationship weird. I'm scared to do it. Listen, there are people dying and going to hell every day. And they need the church. They need you and I to share the gospel with them. And quite frankly, there are times when they will reject you and reject the gospel. Your job is not to make someone get saved. You can't force somebody to get saved. It's their decision. That's why he says, if they're unjust, let them be unjust still. If they're filthy, let them be filthy still. 
But if they're righteous, let them be righteous. Holy, let them be holy. In other words, the decision is theirs. And our commission, as John's was, was to communicate the gospel, the good news of Christ. The good news of his death, the good news of his burial, his resurrection, and yes, ultimately of his coming back. And while I can't tell you the date of his return or the date of these things, we're closer now than we were then. What about your friends? What about your family? So those are the final instructions that he gives to John. He also shares final promise as we continue in verse 17, or 12 rather, I'm sorry. The second time, look at this, the second time he says, and behold, I am coming quickly. In the ancient languages, they did not have exclamation points. You know, if you and I are writing on X, formerly known as Twitter, or Facebook, or Instagram, and you want to exclaim or you want to make something exciting, you'll put it in all capitals. Matter of fact, if you write a message in all capitals, you're mad at somebody. Or you're excited, one or the other. Or if you say happy birthday or happy anniversary, you look down the list of everybody else who happy birthdayed somebody and you want to show them off, you put more exclamation points behind that. <laughs> I care more. Look at all the exclamation points. Well, in the ancient Greek, as well as the ancient Hebrew, they did not have that kind of punctuation. And so when they wanted to emphasize something, they repeated it over and over again. And here's the second time Jesus is saying, I am coming swiftly. I am coming quickly. In other words, you and I should live in anticipation either of Christ coming and taking us home or us being brought home through death because none of us are promised another day. We should be living in anticipation of seeing Christ however we're going to see them, whenever we're going to see him. So a second time, he says, I am coming quickly. And notice this promise, my reward is with me to give to everyone according to his work. Did you hear that sentence? My reward is with me to give to everyone according to his work. Now he's talking to the church, talking to the saints, talking to believers. Oh, you say, that's exciting. He's bringing a reward. Woohoo! But did you see the rest of that sentence? Yeah, my reward is with me to give to everyone. Wow, everyone. According to his work. Now, you cannot earn your salvation by your works. But as a saved person, God is either going to reward you for your work or hold off because we haven't done anything. And this just flies by the radar of most believers. Oh, we love the promise of reward. We love the promise of, of kindness and grace. We love the fact that God loves it. We love that. But why do we just ignore the rest of that sentence? When Christ comes to claim you or Christ comes back, what's he going to be carrying for you? my brother and sister in Christ. Will there be reward? He said, I'm coming, but that's a promise. To everyone according to his work, verse 13, I am the Alpha and the Omega. Alpha is the first letter of the Greek alphabet. Omega is the last. And he, he, he amplifies that by saying, I am the beginning of the end, beginning and the end, the first and the last. In other words, everything that life is, 
everything that existence is, everything that the universe is, should and must find its beginning in Christ and its ending in Christ. Remember Romans eleven thirty six, where he said, for he, Paul said about Jesus, for of him, through him, and to him are all things. So as you live your life and as I live my life, does our life reflect that? Is Jesus everything in your life from the moment you get up to the moment you go to bed, from the moment you are saved to the moment one day your life and my life will end? He says, if that's the case, I'm bringing reward. He gives a last and final beatitude. Verse 14, blessed are those who do his commandments. Not to be saved, but because we are. That they may have the right to the tree of life and may enter through the gates into the city. In other words, if we're doing his commandments, that indicates a certain level of yieldedness to Christ as our Lord. It's not just getting saved. Yes, we need to get saved. And people oftentimes think of being saved as just their ticket out of hell and their ticket to heaven. But being saved is more than that. Being saved is also a new relationship and possible fellowship with Almighty God. As a saved person, our lives should be different than the lives of the unsaved. Our values should be different. Our choices should be different. The love that we have should be placed in a higher level than this world. Because that will enhance the enjoyment of heaven. But again, that's up to the decision makers. Those who reject Christ, he says this. He said, but outside are dogs and sorcerers, sexually immoral, murderers and idolaters, and whoever loves and practices a lie. He gets specific, doesn't he? Dogs and sorcerers. The word sorcerer, there's pharmakia. It's where we get our English word pharmacy from. Sexually immoral, porneia. We get our English word pornography from that. Murderers and idolaters and whoever loves and practices a lie. In other words, again, he reminds the world as he's closing out this book of the choice that they have to make. Choosing God through Christ or rejecting him. There will be an inside and there will be an outside. And the outside is unspeakably horrible apart from God for eternity, tormented in a place called hell. What is the physical aspects of that? The Bible gives many illustrations, but I tell you, it's beyond my comprehension. I, all I know is I don't want anybody to go there. And so we have in this last and final benediction, this last prayer, that last promise of blessing. But he also gives in this final promise an invitation because God doesn't want anybody outside. He says in verse 16, I have sent my angel to testify to you these things in the churches. Specifically the seven churches of John's day, but secondarily the churches in our day, this church. He says, I am the root and the offspring of David. That emphasizes his connection with Israel. 
Jesus Christ is as of the house of David. Israel still plays a part in God's story and prophecy. That's why we must, as Aaron said, pray for Israel. Lift up Israel. Psalm 122.6 says, pray for the peace of Jerusalem. He said, I am the root and the offspring of David, the bright and morning star. And notice this in verse 17. And the spirit and the bride say, come. And let him who hears say, come. And let him who thirsts, come. Whoever desires, notice this last line, let him take of the water of life freely. God's invitation is to anybody who wants to, come. Come to Christ. Come to know Him as Savior. He's ready to receive you. He's ready to accept you. How do you do it? You come to Him admitting your sin, confessing your sin, owning your own sinfulness. You come to Him realizing that there's nothing you can do to wash that sin away, to clean it, to cleanse it, to work it off. You come to him and you fall at his feet in faith. You place your faith and confidence in Jesus and on Jesus. We know we talk about believing in him. We believe on him. We trust in him and trust on him to be saved. And the invitation has come. Anybody can come who needs salvation. Anybody who can come who wants salvation. And notice, drink of the water of life, how? Freely. Why freely? Because Jesus paid the price for our salvation. Romans says the wages of sin is death. Well, Jesus died for our salvation. He didn't have to. He didn't need to. He was perfect. But he died for you. He died for me. He paid the sin price. But that passage in Romans 6.23 says, but the gift of God, gift, a free gift, is eternal life through our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We come to him freely. He has done all the work that needs to be done. There's nothing left for you and I to do but to come to him in faith, cast ourselves upon him as our Savior, and let him save us and cleanse us from our sin. And God will give everlasting life. I'm talking to people who are listening online. I'm talking to people in my congregation before me. If you don't know Christ as Savior, you need to come to him and place your faith. He's calling you, come. There are three invitations. Come to him. Come now. Come quickly. Let him who hears, come. Let him who thirsts, come. Whoever desires, let him drink and take of the water of life freely. That's the beauty of the gospel message. That's what separates Christianity from all the religions of the world. The religions of the world tell you what you have to do to make God happy. The, the Christian message is what Christ has done for you. And you need to come. So in that final prophet, promise, rather, we have the last benediction. Blessings associated with hearing and keeping the words of God. And also a final loving invitation. Come, come now, come quickly and drink of the water of life freely. So we have a final, final instruction. We need to be convicted about the word. We need to, even in confusion, we need to turn our hearts and minds to God and fulfill the commission of 
communicating the message. In his final promise, he talks about blessings and rewards. And then he extends an invitation one last time. You know, it's a wonderful thing about the Word of God and about Christ. From Genesis 3.18 all the way to Revelation 22, he never stops extending the hand of grace and the arm of salvation. He never stops. Why? Because he wants you to know him. He wants your friends, your co-workers, and your classmates to know him. And then he gives a final note. One last final note. A closing promise and a closing prayer. Look what he says. Verse 17. Or excuse me, verse 18. He says, For I testify to everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book. He's going to give us a bit of a warning. He says, if anyone adds to these things, God will add to him the plagues that are written in this book. And if anyone takes away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God shall take away his part from the book of, of life, from the holy city, and from the things which are written in this book. So this closing parting note gives a bit of a warning to start with. He's saying, you be careful. And it's a similar passage that goes back to the 13th chapter of Deuteronomy. Don't add to the Word of God and don't take away from the Word of God. We like our interpretations. We like our takes. We like our theologies. We like our labels. But in the bottom line, God meant the Bible to be read as it was presented. Did as it is given. And the beautiful thing about Scripture, the parts that are very deep and difficult, he has clarified that part, those parts in other areas of Scripture. Even Revelation comes with its own commentary. If you spend actual time reading the book of Revelation, it explains itself as it goes. But we like to spiritualize things. We like to intellectualize things. We like to think that we alone have the secret and we alone have the code. No, no. The way to read the book of Revelation, rather than being luxurious, as Palmer says, is to be lean in our interpretation of it. In other words, read it as it is written. Interpret it as it is given. When it's obviously metaphorical, yep, you take the metaphor, but when it lays out what it's saying, take it. It's very clear. If you take away from the book of Revelation, you will face judgment. If you add to the book of Revelation, or the Bible as a whole, for that matter, you will face judgment. So in this final note, after the warning, he says this. He says in verse 20, He who testifies to these things, number three, surely I am coming quickly. One last time, we see this closing promise. And it's probably the sweetest promise of the book of Revelation. I am coming soon. I am coming quickly. Three times he emphasizes this. Jesus is coming back. What's this world coming to, pastor? It's going back to Christ. He is coming back. How do you know he's coming back? Well, because the Old Testament's full of promises of his, of, of his coming the first time. God's never broken a promise. 
Prophecies have all been fulfilled in Christ's first coming. As a matter of fact, you can go through the New Test, Old Testament, rather, excuse me, and from prophecies of Jesus Christ in the Old Testament, you could build his life from Bethlehem to Calvary on simply the prophetic scriptures given hundreds of years before his advent into the world. And he fulfilled each one. And then he told his disciples, last Sunday school lesson, last week we saw him at the Passover table, drinking the cup with his disciples. And you remember what he said? This is my last time. I will not drink of the cup with you again until we drink it together in my kingdom. Jesus is coming back. That is a promise. Just as much as a promise as when he, was, he came the first time, when it was prophesied he would do that. And then it ends with a final prayer. John says, Amen. Even so, come Lord Jesus. One of the shortest prayers in the Bible, but so pregnant with truth and excitement. Amen. Even so, come Lord Jesus. Come quickly. Come now. Come soon. Even Paul in Philippians chapter 1 said, I would rather depart and be with Christ, which is far better. But Paul said, but for me to stay, I need to stay because it's more fruitful to the ministry for you. But I think we have lost touch with that desire for heaven. We've lost touch with the anticipation of Christ coming back. And so we get complacent. People say Christianity is dull. Do you know why Christianity is dull? Because Christians are dull. We've lost the, the fervor. We've lost the excitement. We've lost the anticipation. And God is saying, come back. Come back. You see the world and what's going on. Get excited. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. And John closes the book of Revelation by saying in verse 21, the grace, the unmerited favor of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. Amen. Revelation, the final note, a closing promise and a closing prayer. At the beginning of this message, we quoted Earl Palmer speaking of the end of the rest of the story. One final note. At the end of the Revelation, we, we have to concern ourselves with the rest of the end of the story. Because while Revelation closes with this verse, we who know Christ will be in eternity with Him forever. And the story truly will never end. And it will be an eternity of bliss, joy, satisfaction, wonders standing at the feet of Christ. So as we contemplate the rest of the end of the story, Palmer goes on to say, history has the decision, has the decisive center. History is not some vague thing that comes and goes or spirals and circles, as he said earlier. History has the decisive center, which is the radical invention of God, namely the eternal word and event, Jesus Christ. He is the eternal word. He is the grand historical event. All that has gone and all that will come centers and focuses on Christ. Genesis said, in the beginning, God created. The end of Revelation says, amen, 
Even so, come Lord Jesus. He is the beginning of history. He is the end of history. He is the focus of history. Palmer goes on to say, history moves toward the decisive fulfillment. We are moving towards something. This isn't just random happenings of people bumping into each other. These aren't just random events. There is a reason. There is a rhyme. There is a purpose. He goes on to say, the same Jesus Christ who stands as its beginning, in the beginning God. Colossians tells us that Jesus himself created all that we know. The same Jesus who stands at its beginning and at its center, the Calvary, the resurrection, also stands to greet us at its end. And as we said last week, they all lived happily ever after. So as we wind this up this morning, is that your prayer? Come quickly, Lord Jesus, because Jesus said, surely I am coming quickly. And at the end of the day, that is the rest of the story. And our prayer should be, come, Lord Jesus. Let's stand as we close. Heads are bowed and eyes are closed as we go to the Lord. Again, as we've gathered over these many, many months, pouring through the book of Revelation, despite the stammerings and the inadequacies of the preacher, you and I have been exposed, first and foremost, to the truth. But not just truth. Truth of what is coming. Truth, is what, truth of what is going to take place. Yes, we're all concerned with what's going on in the world, especially in the Middle East. It is concerning. It is even frightening to some extent. But understand this, nothing happens on this planet unless God either allows it or causes it to happen. God has his purpose. He is sovereign. And we come away from the book of Revelation understanding that it is a revelation of Jesus Christ. To see that he's more than just a suffering risen servant, but to demonstrate that he is the King of kings and the Lord of lords, Lord of lords of the entire universe. That he reigns sovereign and supreme. And that in this human story, he has a end, an end, a purpose. And he will bring it, bring it all to conclusion, to climax. Maybe we're getting close to that. Maybe we're seeing the fringes of that now. But the key is, where are you in that story? As we read this, do you anticipate the coming of Christ, the excitement of eternity? Are you looking forward to that? Is your prayer come quickly? Do you know Jesus as your Savior? Because if you do, we will live happily ever after. Oh, we'll have to go through rocks and creeks and difficulties. But do you know Jesus as your Savior? Have you truly trusted in Him and Him alone as your personal Savior? Believe that He died for you, was buried and rose again. If you haven't done that, do so today. Do that now. But here's the thing, my dear brother and sister in Christ who does know Christ. Is he the alpha and omega of your life? Is he the beginning and end of your life? Are, are you convicted in your heart to tell these truths to those who don't know him? 
Because that's what revelation should motivate us to do. It should motivate us that, that, that we see what's coming. And yes, it can be frightening and difficult. But constantly God opens the door of grace, reaches out this nail-scarred hand of love and says, come, come now, come with me. May God break the hearts of this church starting and continuing with me so that we might, when he does come back, if it is soon, we would be doing what he has called us to do, what he commissioned John to do, is to not seal the words up in a book, but go out and proclaim the truth, even in the midst of international difficulty and struggle, even in the midst of perversion and violence, even in the midst of economic struggle, we stand with Christ because we have seen Christ revealed in all his glory in the book of Revelation. What will you do? Father, we thank you for this time together. Lord, you left us the Rev book of Revelation to reveal Christ. How he will continue to work in the world. How he will judge unbelief and rejection and how he will come back in answer to his Old Testament promises of establishing a kingdom based in Israel. He will sit on the throne of David. And then, Father, a new heaven and a new earth will be created. And the place where we will live eternity will be called New Jerusalem. So, Father, as we watch the situation in the Middle East, we are... We are broken and concerned for all parties. Father, help us to remind, help it to remind us that you are sovereign and you are coming, maybe soon. Light a fire here, I pray. Start with me. And we'll ask this in Jesus' name and all of God's people said, Amen. Amen. For additional sermon resources and to find out who we are, visit us online at westconcordchurch.com. Thanks for listening.